Thanks, you guys. Well, good morning. So you're in Psalm 103. Go, go backwards, uh, not towards the back, but towards the front, right? To Psalm 18, if you would. We'll be in Psalm 18. <laughs> this is our sixth and final message uh, in Psalm 18. And uh, once we are done with that, we're going to have a little break uh, next week. Uh, Hoyt is going to be bringing the message, and then we'll start our series on the Harmony of the Gospels November 3rd, so excited about that. Uh, we spent a, a long time in, uh, in the Psalms, haven't we? We had the summer of Psalms, and here we are, October, what is it, 20th now? Um, and uh, we've, we've gone a long way, so it's been a great, a great time. Um, today, as we look at Psalm 18, and, and one of the things that's happened throughout this series is we read a Psalm, like eight, Psalm 18, and we see the other Psalms around it, and they, they mesh together, they go together, and that, that heart continues to, to be built as you look at all the Psalms. And certainly what, uh, what Jeannie and the gang here presented today was from that stirring, and just like, look, look at how rich this psalm is and how it connects to Psalm 18, and I hope you could see that as well as we go through this. So we are in Psalm 18, and uh, we're going to, the title, the title today is David's Refrain, and refrain is a, like a, a, a lyrical, musical term that's used, and uh, I had to look it up and kind of figure out what exactly does this mean, because I didn't think, maybe I shouldn't use the word refrain, maybe I should get another R word that would work in here, and there's certainly many of them, but I did, I kept it in there because of the lyrical um, just the definition of it. So we're going to look at that in a minute. But before we get there, um, just, just where we've been, right? Let's talk about where we've been in the text of Psalm 18. We started and we looked at David's rejoicing. He started by rejoicing in God, his rock, his savior, his refuge, right? His fortress. And he talked about how amazing God was. He exalted God and glorified God and pointed to God for what he had done. And they talked about next, uh, we talked about David's rescue. We saw David's rescue, how God heard his cry and God moved mightily to rescue him. But not not only does, does it, is there a might when he moves, but God is very personal in his movement, and he reaches down his hand to us and grabs us and picks us up. There's a personal aspect of God when it comes to his rescue. So when you and I think about God's rescue, we have to, at some point, apply that personally to us. Then we talked about uh, his reward and how David found that, that his reward was God himself, and he delighted in the Lord, and, and that, that, that his, part of his reward was that God delighted in David because David delighted in the Lord. And God, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. That David also delighted and found as a reward the discipline of the Lord. That as the Lord would discipline him or others, that we see that discipline that gives us a contrast of what is right and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, what is exemplifying of God and what is not. That God wants us to be holy as he is holy, so he will pursue us. And part of our reward is that he will discipline us like a good father should. Then we looked at David's renewal. We saw his renewal how, how David, t- taking, on, taking on this praise and, and this, this personal thankfulness of God's rescue of him, he remembered that and he, he took that to heart and he, he placed himself in his heart in a humble position before God, not only to be humble before God and receive what God would have, but knowing in faith, trusting in faith for what God was still going to do, yet he was yet to do. When we come on Sunday morning, we recount all the ways that God has been faithful, but we also we don't leave it there. We, we continue to trust in faith how he's going to continue to be faithful, and that was something that renewed David. Then last week, we took a look at David's restoration, how, how David res- was restored and, and restored to the position of prominence as king, and not only prominence with his people, but prominence over the nations, and, and how David's kingdom, this restored kingdom, was a scale model of God's ultimate kingdom, and what we would see come to life with Jesus when he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. So an amazing analogy of that. We talked about last week with the restoration that, that creation and everyone, not only everything created and everything, all of us, we, we are groaning in this and longing to be redeemed. That, that sin and the fall has created this, this 
weird funk, I said, right? It was like we're in this weird funk, and we all are longing to break out of this, oh, and go, ah, right? And there's a restoration to be had, especially when Christ makes us new, when we enter into his kingdom. But we long for that and look forward to that restoration. Today, we look at David's refrain. So what is a refrain? Well, a refrain is a verse that is re-said or recounted. It's like we say it again, and it's what I do every week. And some of you are like, your recaps, man, they're getting long. And of course, at the end of a series, they get kind of long. But it's a refrain. It's, It's a pep talk. It's reminding us where we've been and what's important. So when David comes to the end of this psalm, it's basically a recounting of what we have already seen happen. And he wants to give us this pep talk. So it's this recounting. It's a re-emphasis. It's a, it's a repeat. So today we look at the culmination of David's song, and we're going to see these key elements and themes revisited from previous weeks. And I thought about how, how could I make this how we see it in real life? Like how, how do we see this in everyday life or in real life in different aspects? Uh, one of the thoughts I had was like a sports team. You think about a sports team. Uh, a coach usually has a refrain, right? Before the game, you get in the locker room or you, wherever you are, you're on the field, you get ready to play, and the coach brings you all in, and you come in, and you huddle up together, and you put your hands in the middle, and, and the coach gives some kind of big pep talk, right? It's the same talk every single game. I mean, he, he's like, this, we're good, you've put practice in, we're going to win, get out there and do your best, and go team, go. That, that's the refrain we hear from a coach, right? That's what we hear from a coach. That's a refrain. It's, it's just repeated. This is my anthem, re- recounting, reminding, reemphasizing these key points of what you already know. I thought about it more uh, with, for me, as, as a family, we took a family trip, often a camping trip to eastern Montana. We lived in western Montana. So we lived in the mountains, really high mountains. And we'd, we'd leave there and go over the Rockies and through the woods. To, no, we'd go over the Rockies <laughs> to eastern Montana. And we would set up, we'd set up a, a camp over there to hunt antelope and deer and, and elk. And there's usually like this one lone tree, and we would camp beneath that tree, and we'd put our, our stove out there, and we'd have the fire pit time. And we're getting ready to go on these hunting little excursions in the, in the kind of the high desert, the flats of eastern Montana. And, and the refrain that we did, we'd get around this campfire, this big stove, a sheep herder stove, and we'd get around there nice and warm, and we'd start to just get excited about where we were and what we were doing. And, and we would recount, I remember every year, we would recount these stories that we had the previous year or the year before that. And we would tell the same stories every single year, maybe add a couple more because of time, but we'd tell the same stories over and over and we'd get excited about our next trip. And so we'd, we'd sit, sit around that campfire listening and recounting this refrain, remembering all those things that we already knew, but we're just getting excited about again. It's, it's hey, let me remind you, this is going to be exciting. And those stories like told there, they were exciting. Now, you, you go back home, and you're just, every day, if you got told those stories every day, it's like, come on, this isn't, I know, I know, I know, you're telling me the same story again. You ever get that before with friends? Like, okay, I've heard this story a hundred times, but there's a place for hearing those stories a hundred times where it really penetrates the heart and really gets you excited about that, that experience. I thought about it, too, at family reunions. You know, we, we, we don't give our family as much grace as we probably should sometimes, and, and there are times where we're listening to a family member, and they start telling us that story about Uncle so-and-so and aunts, you know, and it's like, Oh my goodness, I could recite this to you. Do you want me to tell you this? Because you've said it so many times to me, right? But when a family reunion comes and there's excitement and Uncle so-and-so is there and Aunt Susie, you you start talking, that refrain is appropriate. It's like, yeah, this was exciting. These, These are our family stories. This is our history. This is who we are. And so David in his refrain is reminding us and recounting all of who God is and who God has made us to be in him. And, and that's what a refrain becomes. It's that, 
it's that phrase, it's like, oh, by the way, I want to let you know, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about what God has done and what God's going to do. So he wants to pass that excitement on to us. And as we look at a refrain, one of the things about this, this passage today and, and I think about the application is this, and you'll see it on the back side of your notes in the discussion time. It's really important for you and I to have a refrain that's similar to David's. And that that refrain gets overwhelmingly excited inside of us that we just bubble up and spill over because of how, how amazing God is in our lives. That we can't help but refrain every day. We don't refrain from refraining. We recount all the ways God has been faithful. So we're going to see that today, and I hope you can see as basically we recap, right? And as David recaps, this is the refrain. It's saying, get this in your heart. Be excited about this. Be excited about who God is. So we're at Psalm 18. We're going to be reading verses 46 through 50. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll read the text. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful for who you are. And God, as we come together today, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open and receptive to your word. God, that, that you would challenge us in many ways, that you would change us, that you would shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus, your son. We want to be more and more like him. We give him all the glory and all the praise and all the credit. God, help us to look at our lives also as an opportunity to, to recount and to retell and to repeat and to refrain all of the ways that you have been faithful. Let us see that today and and be so excited about the story of God meeting us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Psalm 18, we're looking at verses 46 through 50 together. That's the wrong book of the Bible. There we go. <clears throat> the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. The God of my salvation is exalted. God he grants me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises about your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Now, we're going we're gonna to pick this apart, and I hope as you, as you see this, my, my encouragement to you would be this. If you're in a small group or if you just have your family or by yourself, whatever, take your discussion sheet, go through that, but reread in, in, in its entirety all of Psalm 18 and, and see how this refrain, 46 through 50, picks up all these themes that we've seen throughout the entire psalm. I'm not going to go back and point those out today, but we are going to revisit some of those, just as David is revisiting those as well. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that he recounts this, and it's pretty amazing how, how God has... Had, it's, it's, I talk about God's story, how God met us. Really, we met God, God met us, but it's how God's story and our story intersect, right, for his glory. And that's what David recounts, and that's what he's going to recount today. So uh, we've, we've read our passage. Let's go into David's refrain. Number one, the first thing we see in David's refrain is that he gives glory to God. That David gives glory to God. So Psalm 18, uh, look at verse 46. He says, The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, the God of my salvation is exalted. So David gives credit to God. And I, I want you to think of the, the terms he's used previously to this in, in this passage. He says, you're my rock, my fortress, my shield, my deliverer. He's using all these terms of my. He calls him Lord, like Lord Yahweh God, the great I am. You are the God above every God. You're infinite. You're everlasting to everlasting. That's what he's saying about God. But then he calls him my God. He, he says, not only is he the God, right, or God, the Lord, the great I am, he is, he is my God. He's my mighty warrior, my superhero, 
God. That's who, who God is to him. And then he calls him the God. He's like, the God. There's no other God. There's lots of little G gods, but there's no other big G gods. He's the only big G God that there is. And he's attributing all that to him. He's saying he is God. He is to be exalted. No other God can be exalted. No other God can save us. No other God can keep us. And we see that. We saw that in, in Biz's song, you know, he will hold me fast. That's, that's our God. No, no one else can do that. Only our God can do that. So he says, he is God. Glory to God. I want to exalt him. I want to point to him. All these other, other little g-gods, there's, there's going to be a choice to be made. And there's, the choice is this. God says, you can have me, and I'm mighty to save, or you can reject me. And when you reject me, you're accepting basically yourself and your own desires and whatever you set up as your own God. But they will fail. They will not satisfy. They will not be mighty to save. One of the first phrases there, the first phrase, the Lord lives, is what it says. The Lord lives. And, and it's, some translations have translated this, long live the Lord. Or, or like, and it's kind of a homage, right, uh, in, in some ways, it seems, like it would be for a king. When you come in, in the presence of the king, long live the king, right? You want to say, long live the king, make sure he's, he's got a long life ahead, he, he's the ruler. But that's not what this passage is indicating. Some have translated it that way, to, to long live God. But that is not what it is. It's that Lord lives, that, that He is living, that he is, he is, there's no beginning to Him, there's no end to Him. He is God. He lives. It's an affirmation of who He is, not a hope or wishful thinking that He'll last longer, right? The Lord lives. And then it's not, it's not like we say to a king who will eventually die or, or we even give credit to an idol. We, we set up idols in front of us. We'll see that in a minute. Turn with me to Psalm 115, if you would. Psalm 115. I want, to, I want to look at this, this contrast again, how there's, there's God and then there's everything else that's not God, and why it is that David would say, let's give glory to God, let's exalt God above everything else, because nothing else will, will do. So we're talking about, David's talking about Almighty God, who does what he pleases, because he's God, and he's, he's not talking about idols who have mouths but do not speak. So Psalm 115, looking at verses 1 through 9 together, it says, not to us, Lord, not to us, right? So it's saying the credit's away from me, not to us, not to us, Lord, but where? To your name give glory. So glory and honor and credit and exaltation goes to his name. Why? Here it says, because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Isn't that amazing? See, see, David and the psalmist, they, they, as they write this, they say God is to be exalted. It's no, there's no credit on us. It's all the credit to God and glory be to God because of his faithful love, his steadfast love. You remember we talk about this hesed love of God, this covenantial love of God that pursues us unendingly and continues to, to love us that way all into eternity. That's God's steadfast, enduring love because of your faithful love, because of your truth. And look at verse 2. He says, why should the nation say, where is their God? So someone's accusing. So we have this God that's it's not about us, it's about him. And someone says, where's your God? The nation shouldn't say that. The, the answer is, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Our God is a God who, who is God. He, he, he plays that role. He assumes that role because he's God. In verse 4 says, their idols, the ones that ask this question, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. They have noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. They have feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. So people will certainly accuse, oh, where is your God? 
where's my God? My God is God. He's doing whatever he wants because that's who he is. He's God. And he's there. He's near if you want to seek him. Where's your God? Oh, it's on the shelf over there. Yeah, who made that God? Oh, I did. You made your God? See, we tend to create gods, right? The creation cannot be the creator. Do we understand that? The creation cannot be the creator. And every little g God, every, every idol that we would place in, in place of God is a creation, either of God or of man. But it is not God. So there is always that choice to be made in our lives. Are we going to make that decision to exalt God to his rightful place of where he is, to glorify God, or are we going to exalt self and self-worth and and my own idolatry, and whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever form that looks like. Because we'll have to give an account before God one day. He's like, where's your God? Well, you're my God. No, you never made me your God. You have a shelf full of idols, or a wallet full of idolatry, or a wardrobe full of idolatry. You didn't have me as your God. Where's your God? Those who make them are just like them, it says, and as are all who trust in them. What does that mean? They're just like them. They're created beings. They're created things. They aren't them, themselves God either, but they set themselves up as their own God. They're a created thing with, with false hope in false idols and gods. Verse 9 says, Israel, trust in the Lord. It's like, wake up, Israel. Get rid of these idols. Get rid of what you thought was going to fulfill and trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So there is God and there is everything else that isn't God. And we have to embrace God and glorify God and lift up God. And God's people should be an overflow of praise and credit and glory to our God because there is none like Him. There's none like Him. This word glorify, it's an interesting word I want to make mention of. Um, there's, there's magnify and glorify. Well, you know, we think about uh, this magnification when you have a, and I've told you this before, you have a, a, a microscope, right? And you put a little Petri dish underneath there and you have an ant on there and you, you blow it up or not a Petri, it's a slide, right? You put it in there, you blow it up and you see like the internal like workings of, a, of an ant or a, of a molecule or what, whatever, an organism. And you, you see like the, like zoomed in. You don't see the whole picture. You see the, like the details, tiny details. And, and that's not what it is to magnify God. The word glorify means something else. It's, it's like taking the Hubble telescope, right, and pointing it to a star cluster and taking a look at your naked eye saying, oh, there's a, there's a cool star cluster. No, that ain't nothing. Take a look at the lens. And you, you, oh, okay. And you see this amazing nebula with all these gaseous anomalies and these, these cool stars out there. Like, that's what it is. That's what I'm looking at. See, to glorify is to show God for who he really is just like the Hubble Space Telescope would do for us, to show you what's really out there in those stars, in those galaxies. Whereas a, a microscope just magnifies something to blow it up so you can't even really see the entire picture. Glorify means I want to glorify God. I want to show Him for who He really is. And that's a refrain, people. That's a refrain. That's a, a praise from the gut that's a, that should be a constant in our lives that overflows and says, listen, God is awesome. Here's my God. Here's who He is. Here's what He's done I want you to know, because all those other gods, they have mouths they can't speak. They have eyes they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. They have feet they can't walk and uh, hands they can't touch. But my God, but my God. There's a difference there, isn't there? There is none like him. Number two, in part of David's refrain, he recounts God's merciful rescue of us. 
He recounts God's merciful rescue of us. Look at verses 47 through 48. Back to Psalm 18, if you would turn there. Back to, I hope you've kept your ribbon there or your finger or something. Psalm 18, look at verses 47 through 48. He recounts his merciful rescue of us. He says, God, he grants me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Now we look at that. Uh, we talked about this last week and the previous weeks. and We've seen this in Psalm 18. This has been a theme. It's been a tough theme to think about. Like, wow, we, God's annihilating enemies here, right? And what we talked about, yeah, that was real things. And, and the major theme throughout all of Psalm 18 has been that all of the victories that God was given, giving to David were small victories making way for the greater victory that would be found in Jesus Christ, the descendant of David. See, he wanted to perpetuate David's line and keep David whole and establish a scale model of, of a kingdom that was really a bigger kingdom. It was not David's. It was the one that would sit on the throne of David, Jesus Christ. So all those small victories, all these, and, and they were huge victories for David, but those victories paved the way for the greatest victory that we find in Jesus Christ. So he's recounting this merciful rescue and, know, and knowing God has done an amazing thing. And what we talked about last time is it, with sin and with, with our enemy, and, and our enemy is Satan. Satan and his demons want to, want to deceive us and want to tempt us and trick us and, and, and draw us away from God. And what, what power do we have? Well, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ, what he's accomplished on the cross and as he rose from the grave, and he has the power to disarm and disable that enemy. And one day that enemy will be disarmed and disabled forever and thrown into the pit, the lake of fire. But for now, those, those of us who, who have faith in Christ have moved from a place of slaves to sin and couldn't help but just sin to a place of freedom in Christ and freed from the slavery of sin. We are now freed from sin and freed to obey. Before we couldn't help but not obey. Now we can help and follow Jesus. Now we can follow him in righteousness and in holiness and pursue him in that way because he has disarmed and disabled the enemy. We talked about also this, that, that he, he frees us, right? So we're freed to obey. But he said, you exalted me above my adversaries. And we talked about that in the restoration, that there was a time when David was hiding in caves and in bushes and against cliffs, his back to the wall all the time. And now he was restored as king. And nations, not only, not only his nation, nations were bowing down to him. So there's this renewal that happened with David and there was this restoration that happened with David. And we talked about that in the past week. So David is recounting God's merciful rescue of us. But what I want us to set up is, is mercy. I want us to take a, take a look at mercy for a minute. We're going to go to a passage in Deuteronomy. If you want to turn, turn there with me, you can. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Book number five in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I want us to properly see mercy. And, and when we talk about God's mercy, that's his rescue of us. God, David recounts God's merciful rescue of us. Do you know that mercy is not getting what you deserve? That's mercy. That's mercy. And no one deserves mercy. That's why it's mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. So in order to set up mercy and to show mercy in its majesty and its magnitude, we have to properly understand what we deserve, don't we? What we're, what's, what we're being given mercy from. Deuteronomy chapter 32 We'll see this judgment here, 32, 35 through 39, beginning in verse 35, says, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. In time their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near and their doom is quickly coming. 
He's talking about a judgment on people that are far from him and who are, who are lording it over others, that they, there will be a day that they will have to give an account for that sin. Their foot will slip. They will be destroyed. There is judgment to be had. But God is merciful. God is wanting to lift that judgment and he's, because he's mighty to save. He's the mighty rescuer. But there is judgment. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that not one person is good, not, not one is righteous. Not one of us in this room could say, I'm perfect, I've done nothing wrong, and be honest or be accurate. We could probably say it, but it's not true. No one's good, not one, except for God. We see Jesus as God in the flesh live a perfect life. And he did that so that he could offer himself as our sacrifice in our place. So that we are all sinful, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's judgment to be had on sin. Why? Because God is just. Because God is holy. Because He is pure. And in that justice and holiness and righteousness, we don't want to have an unfair God. We don't, have a, we don't want to serve and love and, and know a God who, oh, well, I'm going to be wishy-washy. I'm not going to be accurate. I'm not going to be totally just and, and fair. I'm going to just set all that aside. That's not God. Right? We, we do that sometimes in mercy or in, in just compassion with people, but God is holy and just, and He cannot overlook sin. Knowing that, knowing that there would be judgment, He chose to pass His judgment on Jesus on the cross. See, the wrath of God was put on Jesus and was satisfied on Jesus Christ. Jesus took what you deserve. Jesus took what I deserve because of God's mercy and compassion. Going on in Deuteronomy, Verse 36, the Lord will indeed vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, where are their gods, the rock that they found refuge in, who ate the fat from their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let it, let it be a shelter for you. See, now that I, am alone, or I alone and am he, there is no God but me. I bring death and life. I wound and heal no one can rescue anyone from my power. This is a compassionate message meant to, meant to show us that he is ready to be mighty to save. There's, is there judgment there? Absolutely. And, and here's what you see. You see people pre, uh, presented with God, presented with Almighty God saying, who are you going to choose? God's here to rescue. He's mighty to save. He's the one that has taken the penalty for you on that cross, the one that you and I deserved. He's taken it said, the judgment has been satisfied on Christ if you would believe, if you would turn your heart to me and turn away from you and your other gods. Make that choice. But so many people decide, no, 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 I'm going to reject that. I'm going to push that aside. And they embrace these other gods. And God, God himself, he says, I, I alone am the one who can do this. I'm the one who's going to carry out judgment. And I'm going to carry out judgment on your idols also. By the way, where are those gods? God's like, I, I've been here. I'm here. I'm ready. Where are your gods that you've been trusting in? They don't seem to have done the trick. You've offered the sacrifices. Who are the ones that ate the, ate the fat you, you sacrificed or drank the cup that you sacrificed? Where are they when you need them? Why aren't they standing up to save you? Because there is no one like Him. There's only Him. And for you and I, we have the Savior in God through Christ who has come to, to pay for our sin and to redeem us and draw Him to Himself and to save us from ourselves. And that's mercy. Why do we need mercy? Because there's judgment over our sin. But there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You're not going to find that mercy. You're not going to find that fulfillment, that satisfaction in any 
anything else on this planet. You'll only find it in Jesus Christ. And David recounts that. David's refrain is that, and our refrain should be that. Our refrain should be that it's in Christ alone that I find my hope. It's in Christ alone that I find my rescue. It's in Christ alone I find my righteousness. It's in Christ alone I find my freedom. There is nothing else that will satisfy. There is none like him. So David's refrain is recounting this merciful, merciful God. We will all give an account and we'll stand before God and God will say, I really wish you had trusted me because I am the one that's mighty to save and all those other gods are not. And that's what he wants you to do. And, and, and this seems a little sometimes harsh. We talk about judgment and hell and fire and brimstone. And it's like, oh my goodness, we shouldn't talk about that in church. Yes, we should. Because we, we won't see the light and the majesty and the beauty of mercy if we don't understand the judgment that there is on us. If we make light of the judgment, guess what gets dimmer? God's mercy. Because we really don't need it much. It's just lovey, fluffy stuff. The lovey, fluffy stuff was on the cross as he poured himself out for us. That's God's mercy. Why did he do that? Because I deserved to be there. And you deserved to be there. That's compassion. That's mercy. That's a God who says, in grace, I love you and I want you to be forgiven. Would you please choose me? Would you please believe that I'm the one that's mighty to save? Would you please set aside whatever Savior that you're trusting in so that you could really have everything and that refrain should bubble up and spill over in our lives. I'm going to read a passage out of Zephaniah. You can go back to Psalm 18. Zephaniah chapter 3 says, Sing for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. So there's this joy, right? Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Isn't that amazing? Why do we celebrate? Because the Lord has removed our punishment. He placed it on Jesus for us, that if we would believe, we would be rescued. The King of Israel, the Lord is among you. You, know, you need no longer fear harm. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. That's God. But we don't really enjoy or, 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 or rejoice over the saving if we don't understand what we need to be saved from. It's God's kindness that needs to be in view that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness in the way He's treated us because of our sin that will lead us to repentance. And then God says, I'm going to give you a righteousness that you could never have attained on your own. And we'll see that in a few minutes. What a merciful rescue that God has provided for us. If only helpless sinners like us would turn to Him and be given freedom and forgiveness, then we would have something to celebrate, something to refrain. Third, David's ref refrain offers thankful praise. David's refrain offers thankful praise. So back in Psalm 18, verse 39, or sorry, verse 49, it says, Therefore, I will give Thanks to you among the nations, uh, Lord, I will sing the praises about your name. David is, is adamant to give praise to God. He's like, I'm going to be thankful to you. He's, and he says, therefore. And if there's a therefore, we always ask, what is that therefore? Well, it's therefore all the things that he said previously to that. Because of who God is and his nature and that he can rejoice in that, he's thankful and that he's, he's helped him overcome the enemy. 
Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Again, this, this is a thankfulness that has to well up inside of our heart. This is how a refrain is built. There's a, there's a thankfulness that we get up every morning thankful for who God is and for what God has done and for what God is going to do. It's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ, and it's to be celebrated. And it is to be celebrated by all people. Not just for Jerusalem. Not just for Israel. Not just for God's, God's, uh, the Jews or the, or the Hebrews, God's people. This was something that was given to everyone. We see that the, in the Abrahamic covenant, we see him say, listen, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the shore. It's not just going to be Israel. It's to the nations. It's more than that. David is even praising now, I'm going to be thankful to you among the nations. And last week we saw how, how any, even not, not only his nation, but other nations were coming in this, uh, this small-scale model of the big kingdom. They were coming to pay homage to King, the King David and, and to give their allegiance to King David. And we're going to see that at the end. We saw that last week in Revelation where you see all the saints in heaven gathered around worshiping uh, God. And, and what did it say? It said, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every, every whatever were there bowing down before the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's for every nation. It's for all people, for anyone, for whosoever would believe would not perish, would have everlasting life. So there's a thankful praise over that. Romans 15 quotes this, actually. Paul quotes this passage in Romans, and he talks about this, this not only the nations. The nations is those that are not Israel, the, the, the Gentiles. It says, For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for His mercy. It's not just for God's chosen people. It's, it's for anyone, whosoever would put their trust in Him. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles or nations, and I will sing praises to your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples praise Him. The peoples praise Him. This refrain is not just to be a refrain here or in the, in the doors of a, of a Christian place. It is to be everywhere so that the nations would see the greatness of God. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, this is the descendant, right, of David. The root of Jesse will appear. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Remember, the small victories lead way to the greatest victory, the greater victory in Jesus Christ. So now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is an overflow that has to come, a refrain from our heart that has to spill out because of who God is, and not only who God is to me, but who God can be to everyone who would believe that, they would have eter- that if they would believe, they would have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that refrain offers thankful praise. There should be this overflow. Finally, number four, David's refrain, hopes in the greater victory in Christ. This is the culmination. This is, this is why it all was there. This is why he could really well up with joy because there was a greater hope beyond him, beyond his little victory that he had or the big victory he had. He knew that there was a bigger victory to come, a promise that, that God had made in, in, back in Samuel saying, I'm going to give you something on your throne, someone on your throne that's going to rule and reign forever. So verse, chapter 18, verse 50 says this. It says, He gives great victories to his king, 
He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Forever. Again, the theme that God has given to us through this is that he has made, he's given victories to make the greater victories possible, to make the greater victory possible. And I would say to make the greatest victory possible. So what is that? What is that greatest victory? We're, we're done now in Psalm 18. Imagine that. We're done. Can you turn to Jeremiah with me? Turn to Jeremiah. It's after Psalms. It's one of the major prophets. Jeremiah chapter 23. Right after Isaiah. <clears throat> and I want us to look at this a little more in depth. And it kind of, I'm excited because it, it, it tracks down today into kind of like a, a little warm-up for Christmas. I'm excited about that too. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. You know, Christmas, Easter, every Sunday, it's always all about Jesus. It's always all about the greatest victory we've ever seen in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So I'm excited every Sunday, but Christmas is real special. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David... He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name that he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Why, so why is this the greatest victory? Well, we've talked, we talked about judgment and, and sin and, and mercy and compassion we talked about Jesus taking our place and extending forgiveness to us and grace to us. The greatest thing that we need is purity, right? We need righteousness. We need to be able to stand before God with no sin in view. So what, is, what has God provided for us? He's provided the greatest victory in Jesus Christ. That out of the line and house of David, the righteous branch for David he will provide. And that his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. Why is that the greatest? Because our righteousness is as filthy rags, but His is white as snow. And when, when God gives us His righteousness, He imputes Christ's righteousness on us, and that righteousness gives us a purity that will last into eternity. That when we stand before God, He looks at us and says, wow, you're pure, you're shiny, you're spectacular. And He does something amazing. He, he lets us into His kingdom, not because we were good enough, but because He is good enough. Amen? That's righteousness. We need His righteousness. He saves. That's the greatest victory. Now, if you want to track with me, you can go to Luke 1 and Matthew 1. We're going to read two more passages, and then we're all done for the day. We're going to see this. I want to show this line, the lineage of David, continuing down and see what this looks like. So we've seen in Jeremiah a prophecy there, the righteous branch for David. Same thing. We're talking about David's ancestors, right, and the, and this, the anointed. So he's, he's a righteousness that he provides. Luke 1, 31 and following. It says this. Now listen, and this is the angel talking to Mary. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, what is it? The throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. No end. There, there is a king of kings that will sit and reign on the throne forever. That this, and that, that king is the Lord 
our righteousness. He's the one that's going to give us his righteousness, and then he will reign over us forever. When in Psalm 18, it says that he gives victories to his king, he shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his, and his descendants, how long? Forever. That's what we're seeing here. He's going to sit on that throne and reign forever with no end. And then Matthew chapter 1, starting at the end, end of verse 20. Another angel, another time an angel is talking to, uh, now to Joseph. It says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is uh, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's the greatest victory. The greatest victory is that we have a Savior who is there to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves. Listen, I, I want you to listen to this. I know in this room there are all types of circumstances of life going on right now. I've heard a lot of them. I, I know. Regardless of your circumstance in life, the refrain of our heart should go here. That the greatest victory, the greatest victory is in Jesus Christ to give us a righteousness that we can never have without Him and to save us from ourselves, from our sins. And that no matter if there's a small victory in our lives or not, the greatest victory has been won. And we can take hope in that. The hope and joy that we have in that then would, would spill out and overflow in our lives as a constant refrain. No matter our circumstance, Jesus wins. Amen? And that's what David's refrain is all about. He's, he's glad that God protected him. He's glad that God met him where he was. He's glad that God gave him victories over his actual physical enemies. But he was so glad to know, and David's refrain is, I am, I am more excited about the greatest victory coming through Jesus Christ. And we should be too. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we are so grateful for you and and Lord, there are days that it, it seems like we're a little ho-hum about that. God, I, I pray that you would well up inside of us a refrain. A time to recount and repeat. God, to revisit these themes of who you are and who we are in you. God, you have accomplished the greatest victory possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are thankful. Help us to, to tell that to the nations and show that thankfulness, show that, that grateful heart, but also the unending love that you have given us to them, that they could believe and be saved as well. Thank you that you were merciful. While we incurred judgment and wrath upon ourselves because of our sin, you extended mercy by placing your wrath on Jesus for us. Help us to embrace him as Savior. Help us to set aside any and forsake any idol that we've set up as, as a false Savior, a counterfeit Savior. We want you. We want more of you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.